Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We're glad that you're here. If you're visiting, as always, we want you to know that we appreciate your presence with us today. We're always glad to have visitors with us. We're glad to have Tina with us today. Tina's here from Jackson, and I think, I'm not sure if, if Leslie's here or not. He is here. But anyway, we're glad to have them with us and uh, appreciate their presence today. We're going to be looking at James chapter 1 in verses 2 through 4 in a moment, and also verse 12. As we think together about the trials of life, specifically we want to talk about finding good in the trials of life. Every trial, tear, and heartache that we experience here on planet Earth can be tied back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve transgressed the will of God in that utopian environment, it opened the floodgate for hardship, trial, tribulation, temptation, and even death. Is it possible for us, as God's people today, to find good in the trials of life? I want you to consider with me what James says in verses 2 through 4 of chapter 1, and also take note of verse 12. As we look at the writings of James, he has a lot to say about trial and the difficulties that are imposed upon us as members of the human family. I want to begin by talking about the various trials of life. In verse 2, James said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Let me first of all call attention to our attitude in the trials of life. And really there are two responses. One, we can face the trials, tribulations, and hardships of life with a sense of joy. Or, the flip side, we can be jaded. We can have the feelings that we have been jaded because of all of the, the difficulties that we face. James said that we're to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. There are lots of trials that come our way. In no way would I ever want you to leave here today with the impression that I have reached a point of spiritual maturity that I can express joy in every difficulty and hardship that I face in life. But I understand that James is saying the ideal is to look to the trials of life with a sense of joy. You remember in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter, of course, is writing to people that were experiencing hardships. And he talks about the trying of your faith, the testing of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tried by fire, might be found unto praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of the Lord Jesus. And so I understand that 
There are benefits and byproducts to the trials that we experience in life. One example, and we'll come back to this example in a minute, over in chapter 5, James reminds his readers of the sufferings of Job. And he said, and the end intended. In other words, the aim. That the Lord is very compassionate and mercy. Can God bring good out of bad? Yes, he can. Can God use the difficulties that we face in life? Can he use those things to our betterment? Again, I think the answer is yes. So on the one hand, we could, we could look at the trials of life with a sense of joy in recognition of the fact that these difficulties are going to work ultimately for our good. They're going to bless us in some way. The flip side is we could walk away with a very jaded attitude. And there are lots of folks in our world today because of this trial or that trial or this sickness or a particular disease Whatever the case may be, they become very jaded. They become angry. They're mad at the world. And sometimes people become mad or angered at God. And they want to know, why would God allow this to happen to me? And that's a whole other subject. But sometimes people will hold God responsible for their difficulties Again, as I made mention just a moment ago, every trial and hardship and difficulty that we face can be tied back to the garden because ultimately Satan is the one that wrecked havoc upon the human family. We're just suffering the consequences of those things. So sometimes people become angry. They ask why. And then there are lots of people that become bitter. You have probably talked to people in the past that have become bitter. They are bitter at life and bitter at their lot in life. They're bitter at the situation in which they're living. They become resentful. And sometimes they look at other people and they see all the great things that are going on in their life and they wonder, why, why, why am I where I am? And you can go back and read Psalm 73. The psalmist there talks about how the wicked prosper and how sometimes good people seem to have so many difficulties. And he drew some conclusions from that. What about assessing the trials of life? We talk about our attitude, but how would we assess the trials that we experience in life? How do, you, how do you assess the various trials that you face? I think one reaction is we become discouraged. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer talks about how we are to run with patience or perseverance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then in verse 3, he talks about the problem of becoming discouraged and weary in our souls. Discouragement is a great tool of the devil. 
You remember Elijah the prophet? He had been riding a wave of prosperity, so to speak. He had enjoyed victory over the prophets of Baal. In 1 Kings chapter 19, word comes to Elijah that Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab, is going to have him put to death. And so he flees. He becomes despondent. And his attitude is he's ready to die. God reminded him that he still had 7,000 in Israel that had not bowed the knee to Baal. The devil will use discouragement to undermine your faith. So sometimes when we begin assessing the trials that we face, we grow discouraged. And look, we're human beings. It's easy to become discouraged. And if you have a protracted illness or disease, over a period of time, it can wear on you. And it can debilitate you, so to speak, to the point where you just throw up your hands and say, I give up. Now, that's what the devil wants. And then there are those trials of life that leave us disturbed. Sometimes because of the news we receive and sometimes because of the news that we receive about our own physical condition, and then maybe because of the news that we receive about someone we love or care about. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In 2 Kings chapter 20, you remember Isaiah the prophet was told to go to King Hezekiah. And the instructions were to tell King Hezekiah to set his house in order. Because God said, you're going to die and not live. I don't know anyone that would not be disturbed by that news. And there are lots of folks in our world today that have received that kind of information. You imagine going into your physician's office, having some tests run, and then the conclusion is you have a terminal illness. Hezekiah was told he was going to die. And so immediately he turned his face to the wall and began to pray to God. God said, I've seen your tears. I've heard your prayers. And the Bible says he added 15 years to his life. But sometimes the trials that we experience can be disturbing. And then there are those trials that we experience in life that seem to be disconnecting. You ever feel like you've lost touch with people because of the various trials? Sometimes individuals that are isolated or homebound, shut in as we would say, become disconnected from family, friends, and what we call life itself. It's a terrible thing to have to stay indoors 24-7, day in, day out, week in, and week out. And there are times when, maybe because of our stand as a Christian, as a child of God, we feel like we're isolated and alone. You remember the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4? When he said, at my first defense, all men forsook me. No one stood with him. But then he said, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So there are times when we feel alone, helpless, so to speak. And then... There is a fourth assessment, I think, when it comes to the trials of life. And that is we can grow more determined. 
As the Hebrew writer said, we lay aside every weight, the sin that so easily besets us, and we run with perseverance the race that's set before us. In other words, we draw a line in the sand and we say, you know what, I'm not going to cross that line. We dig in and we say, I'm resolved to be faithful, to be steadfast, no matter what happens. That's what Jesus talked about in Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10 when he said, be faithful unto death. That is, you be faithful even if it costs you your life. You live for God day in, day out. You grow more determined. Sometimes we have to be resilient. This resolve that we're going to stay the course, come what may. So I think about the various trials that we face in this life. But then I want you to consider in the second place the value of the trials of life. I mentioned a moment ago that sometimes trials can be to our benefit. We can learn from the trials of life and there are some benefits or byproducts to the things that we experience that are negative, so to speak, in life. There are some responses that I think all of us could reflect as we face these trials. Now, James said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, that is, the trying of your faith. When you experience the trials or the tribulations or the hardships of life, there are some common reactions. The first is, the trials of life can shake your faith. I mentioned just a moment ago, Job. If you go back and read Job chapter 1, you'll see that Job was a wealthy man. He had 10 children. He had a household full of servants. And according to chapter 1, all of that taken away. And Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now that could have shaken him and I suspect it did shake him. You ever seen footage of a city that is hit by an earthquake. And sometimes you'll see the very foundations of homes and buildings as they shake. Sometimes they'll even be shaken to the point where they move off that foundation a little bit. But they're still standing. Well, Job was shaken, but he stood. In chapter 2, you remember, after his own body was afflicted with boils, his wife said, curse God and die. And he said, shall we not receive good at the hand of the Lord and adversity? In all this, Job didn't sin. And then you remember, you remember his three friends that came and sat with him. And the Bible says that when they saw him, they lifted up their eyes and lifted up their voices and wept. I suspect that Job was a pitiful sight. So his faith could have been shaken. And they told him, while all these calamities had come upon him, they, in, they indicted him basically for sin in his life. And yet I want you to listen to his reaction. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him in chapter 13, verse 15. So was he shaken? No doubt. But he stood. There's a second common reaction. First, the trials of life can shake your faith 
Secondly, they can break your faith. There are people all across this globe that at one time were sitting where you're sitting today. That is, they were together with the saints. They were believers in God. They were servants of God. And because this happened or that happened or this circumstance occurred or that situation, they lost their faith. It happens. Sometimes there are individuals, as I said a moment ago, they become jaded. And they become angry at their circumstances in life. And they hold God responsible for their hardships. The common tendency among parents at the loss of a child is to ask why. To hold God accountable for that. And yet to remember that we live in a world subjected to heartache and trial and suffering and death itself. To remain faithful to God, come what may. I remember many years ago hearing about a fellow that lost a young son in an automobile accident. And they were on a school outing. They had an accident in Memphis, Tennessee. The last I heard, if I recall correctly, that man walked away from the Lord. Sometimes the trials of life can break your faith. There's a third reaction. The trials of life can shake your faith they can break your faith or they can make your faith. And by that I mean the trials of life can serve as stepping stones to help us grow in our spiritual maturity. Listen, if you would, to what James said. Knowing that the trying or testing of your faith produces patience or endurance, perseverance. But he said, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. One byproduct of suffering, according to James, is a persevering, enduring spirit. Now look again at Job. How did Job ride that wave of difficulty? Perseverance, patience, didn't he? James chapter 5, verse 11. You have heard of the patience or perseverance of Job. And the end intended by the Lord. A moment ago we sang the song, Does Jesus Care? And the answer is yes, He cares. And sometimes when we think about the difficulties that are imposed upon us in this life, we need to remember that the Lord cares. That He cares deeply. And that He can use these things to grow, to strengthen us. Sometimes bad, bad, bad things happen. Things that are unspeakable. And yet, out of those occasions, there are times when we see, as we say, the silver lining. A child dies. A parent, a grandparent, a brother, a sister obeys the gospel. Becomes a Christian. Somebody who's unfaithful comes face to face with the brevity of life. And as James said, life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And so they 
recognize, you know what, I need to get my life right. I need to come back to God. So there are times when the trials of life can make our faith. And then there is a third thing I want you to see in our study. And that is the victory over the trials of life. Drop down if you would and look at verse 12. In verse 12, James said, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. First of all, I want you to think with me about persevering and overcoming the trials of life. There are really two very specific things we all need to keep in mind. Number one, there's help. When you face the trials and the tribulations and the difficulties, the hardships of life, whatever term you want to use to describe those things, you need to know that there is help. That there is help in the Lord. There are some passages of Scripture that I think reinforce that. If you go back and look at Psalm 56, verse 9, David, in the midst of trial and hardship, said, This I know. God is for me. The great ally that David had in adversity was God. So here's David saying, look, I know this. God is for me. So to understand that the Lord is there to help. Psalm 46, God is a refuge, a very present help in trouble. Note that, a very present help in trouble. God is a refuge for those who are wearied by the difficulties of life. You can find a safe haven under the sheltering wings of Almighty God. And then I think about the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 at verse 7. When Peter said, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. Again, the song that we sang, does Jesus care? Oh yes, I know he cares. Let me tell you what. You can lay your problems at the throne of God. The Hebrew writer said, Let us therefore draw boldly unto the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. God is saying, Look, I'm here. I am the one who can help you. There's a second thing you need to see, and that is not only is there help, there's hope. Here's what I want you to know. You can make it. Whatever difficulty, adversity, hardship, trial, tribulation, temptation you're experiencing in life, you need to understand there is hope. You can get through it. In Hebrews chapter 12, a passage that has been alluded to a couple of times already. The writer said, Therefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. What he's doing is looking backwards to those Old Testament saints recorded in chapter 11. We talk about Faith's Hall of Fame. Men and women who faced adversity and difficulty and trial and tribulation. And yet they walked by faith, didn't they? They lived by faith. Every single saint that you read about in chapter 11, what was the overriding theme? Faith and obedience. This enduring spirit, this persevering spirit. I think what the, the Hebrew writer is saying is, look, they made it. And just as they made it, you can make it. You can draw on their examples. And you can draw on the great example of Jesus. 
who for the joy that was set before him, listen to him, endured the cross. You can make it. You just got to be steadfast. You have to resolve, you've got to make up your mind that you are not going to allow the trials and the difficulties of life to bring you down. Sometimes that's easier said than done, but you can make it. There's help and there's hope. So persevering and overcoming the trials of life and then the promise to those who overcome the trials of life. Listen again to what James said in verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been tried or proved, listen, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James is saying that those who stay the course, who remain faithful, who are resilient, who are resolved to overcome, to ride it out, stay close to God. The promise is the crown of life. I want you to know you can make it. You can make it with God's help. And James is saying if you make it to the finish line, guess what? God will bestow on you the victor's crown, the Stephanos. That's why he said be faithful unto death. The promise being I'll give you the crown of life. Can we find good in the trials of life? Yes, we can. Not always easy, but we can find that silver lining. I want to encourage you today, if you're not a Christian, to obey the gospel. There are a lot of problems that we can face in this life, and there are, there are things that, that we face in this life that, I'll just be honest with you, there are some things that we face I can't imagine having to, to go up against them without the Lord. And yet there are folks that do it. There are some folks, they're living with trial all around them. Got all kinds of hardships and problems and they're, they're living through those things without God. I don't know how you do it if you're doing that. I don't know how, how anybody does that. But I know this, if that's your condition today, it can change. Just like that, here's what you need to do. Put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. Do what they did on Pentecost Day, repent of your sins, Acts 2.38. Do like the eunuch did in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. Confess that you believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. And then do just what Saul of Tarsus did when Ananias said to him, and now what are you waiting on? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. If you'll do that, God will wash all your sins away. You'll be in Christ. You'll have all spiritual blessings in Christ. And you'll enjoy the quality of life defined as eternal, Titus 1, verse 2. If you're unfaithful to his cause, could I encourage you to come home? It may be the case that because of what you're experiencing in life today, your values have become skewed, your vision of right and wrong has become skewed. You can come home. The beauty is God will take you back. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing?